I think the other thing to really do when it comes to boosting your confidence is to push yourself. So if you stay inside your comfort zone, you'll always think you can't do things outside of your comfort zone. If you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, you'll realize how good you are at what you do and how quick you are at learning and just how wonderful you are, really. Um, You'll realize how much further your boundaries are than what you thought they were. And I think that's a really important thing. Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Friends. And I'm Serena Chen. This episode, we're talking about leadership. We're talking about what does leadership look like? What do we expect from leaders? And how do we go about becoming the leader? And then the change we want to see in the world. With the upcoming elections in the United States of America and Australia, and the recent mayoral election in London, leadership and what we want from our leaders is hashtag topical right now. But what we value in leaders is changing. While previously a Don Draper-esque, hyper-masculine, cigar-smoking caricature might have been the ideal, and in some aspects it still is, if you look at things like Donald Trump and the recent outpouring of sexism in French politics. But broadly, we now like leaders that show agility, empathy, and quick thinking. The idea is that you're a good leader if people want to follow you. And yet, we still code leadership in frankly bizarre ways. Most people know about the double standard that is being bossy or being the boss, but men getting a career boost from children where women take a career hit is just one of the many other double standards that embody our working lives. This raises a lot of questions. Do we still expect or want traditionally masculine traits from our leaders? Is this changing? And how can we embody leadership in ways that don't compromise our personal ideals? What are your thoughts, Serena? In regards to whether we still want traditionally masculine traits, I think as a society, that answer is very definitely yes. And even though there is a real shift in social awareness in our generation, and like my sister's generation, I think something that we really have to keep in mind is that A, most people that are involved in selecting leadership positions are um, older, whiter, and men are than <laughs> us <laughs> and um and be like even though we feel that shift towards social awareness we're still very much in a liberal bubble when it comes to social and political beliefs so while there is a definite shift towards awareness that maybe leadership traits shouldn't be precisely masculine you know maybe we need to look for more empathetic leaders we we need leaders that perhaps display more feminine traits as well. We can be like inspired by those things, but I think we also need to be very realistic in that most of the world, most of the world expects masculine traits in a leader, even if it's like a subconscious expectation. So what are some examples of sort of more masculine traits, just so everyone's on the same page? Ah, yes. So, (laughs) so things like, I don't know, you see this a lot in um, American politics, in which they'll be very in your face and they will straight up insult another politician. They'll, like, call them names. They'll These are seen as things that are powerful by many. I mean, obviously not by a lot of people, but by many it's seen as, you know, a strong position. You're coming from a strong position if you are, say, uncompromising, if you, you know, you have a position, you hold it, and you don't budge. And I think that's seen as a very masculine trait. Yeah, so it's things like being um, quite dominant in conversations, mm. being quite loud, being, like, 
being in control. And that's very interesting because a lot of studies show that having a leader who is in control, particularly a leader who um, micromanages, is much less effective than a leader that lets you do your own thing to a large degree, who sort of says, here is a project or here is a problem, solve the problem, finish the project, good luck, call me if you need help. Um, but certainly different styles of leadership work differently for different people. What do you think about the um, leaders we're seeing right now, like in the world today? So certainly in uh, Australia, we have the two leaders of the major political parties who both appreciate and want tropical gulags for some reason. In New Zealand, we have the two leaders of political parties who are both men who have the personality of damp ham. And in right. America, well, we I have... mean, <laughs> yeah. we've got we've got one leader of a political party, and then in the other political party, no one knows who the leader is anymore. Like, <laughs> if, if you're not if you're not up to date with politics, if you don't like watch the news every night, who's the leader of the Labour Party? Who knows? But anyway, and in America, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, is it Andrew Little in the Labour Party in New Zealand? I feel that's like that's correct. Him. That is oh, correct. Yes. <laughs> very good. Um, and in America, we're particularly seeing the very interesting democratic race where a lot of the uh discourse that i've seen surrounding the democratic race has been over Mm -hmm. whether bernie sanders or hillary clinton makes a better feminist that is interesting isn't it that is and a part of me is like kind of giddy over this this is like people are talking about feminism and people care and it's a good thing that if you are you know more feminist than the other contestant that's freaking awesome like I don't think we would have gotten a similar narrative oh, even four years ago, eight years ago. But, yeah, that's exciting. Another thing, another masculine trait that we as a society tend to value is that if you look at presidential elections throughout history, there is a very strong correlation between the taller candidate and who wins, which seems... Like, it should be random, but no. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. And often when the uh, shorter candidate wins, they have better hair. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a very interesting correlation. And, like, one that's more bluntly masculine than something like mm. being moderately dominant. Um, How do you feel like we've treated our female leaders throughout history? Do we expect them to be masculine and then penalise them for it? Or do we, like, require oh, totally. a certain degree of femininity from them? Both. But it's um it's like the double standards you were talking about in the intro, you know. It's a really big problem. I mean, for all women, but especially women of positions of influence and power, since that you know they have more eyeballs on them. And it's actually quite pertinent to um what we were talking about last episode, where women are supposed to be perfect. We have to straddle the line between, you know, we have to be assertive, but we can't be too aggressive. You know, we have to be pretty, but we can't be high maintenance we have to be smart but not too smart you know it's it's that it's that line of perfection I want to call it like the Taylor Swift line you know (laughs) like you're just mild enough to be liked but you can't go outside of your bounds to be disliked as a woman and I feel like that's a big problem that I mean all women but especially women in positions of high visibility have to deal with because they will get penalised if, if they go outside of those bounds. So do you reckon, and like, I have my own opinions on this, uh, mm. that the traits we value in leaders are sort of the same for men and women, or 
does our perception to a degree differ with gender? And is this standardized throughout the world? Or are we just talking about like Western ideals of leadership? Well, I don't think I can speak to how it's seen around the world just because um, even as an Asian New Zealander, I grew up here, so I'm like completely whitewashed. So I have a very, very Westernized view of the world. So in my Westernized opinion, um, I do think we have different expectations for our male and female leaders. Not that we should, but that we simply do. And that's that's just um, inherent sexism that's been built into ourselves from society and from growing up in the society. You know, we expect men to to be varied. They're allowed to be varied, you know. Men who lead in an extremely dominant way are seen as okay. Men who lead in an extremely I don't know, empathetic way, if they display more feminine traits, that's kind of okay as well. Whereas with women it's um it's a it's a small variety that that yeah. we're allowed to venture inside well, of. The more empathetic leadership is something that's sort of developed relatively recently. And mm. that sort of leads me on to the question of like, what what do you think? Speaking, one leader, one leader to another. Um, <laughs> what do you think makes a good leader? I'm going to go ahead and say empathy. <laughs> I, I mean, just straight up, like, no matter what gender you are, no matter, you know, what culture you hail from, to empathize with the people who may look up to you or whom you are formally leading is the only way you can really communicate with them. Because, I mean, really big leaders, leaders of entire countries, for example, the people whom they lead are so different and so varied and they come from different backgrounds that if if the leader is not able to empathize with their people, then they have no they have no common ground to communicate to them. And how do you how do you lead without communication? Yeah, certainly. And you're speaking of empathy, not as an, an ability to sort of directly feel those emotions. I can't remember the difference between empathy and sympathy ever. <laughs> uh, so excuse me if I'm getting them mixed up, but rather an understanding of like where those emotions come from and how to sort of harness those. Which sounds very uh it sounds low-key Machiavellian, to be honest, but it is actually just, you know, you get people to do things by manipulating them in very small ways. Um, I know certainly I've been a leader in a few capacities now, and I put great value on my praise, and I always make sure to find out what people value themselves. So I will very rarely give out praise, which doesn't always work well with people, and if they don't perform well then often they will get quite disenfranchised with me and that's fine or at least I've never had a problem with it so far (laughs) this may change I'm trying to get better at giving praise um but also you'll find out exactly what someone likes so rather than saying oh well done here's a bottle of wine you can say hey you did really well here's that book that you've wanted for a really long time I've got it signed by the author so you develop that really key buy-in from the people to you personally rather than, like, whatever broader organization you're part of. And I think that's a really powerful bond that you can create, and it makes you an incredible leader. Mm, Just saying, I'm great. Uh. (laughs) That's that's really good. And here's a question for you, Mm -hmm. a great leader, (laughs) is how how do we, as people with, like, both pragmatism and a feminist ideology 
how do we kind of decide when to work within the system in terms of you know the society and all its biases and when to subvert the system and come out and maybe be a little bit more aggressive or be a little bit more varied is there a is there a time to do one thing a time to do other and how do you how do you go about deciding that I think to an extent both of us you as an Asian New Zealander and me as a like queer question mark feel female question mark I um I actually identify as genderqueer so like a queer human who presents as female we're both already like more marginalized than the upper middle class white woman whose feminism might require that extra consciousness in order to subvert the system that can like encourage oppression I think simply by existing to an extent we are already subverting that system because we're existing publicly and I know certainly that takes a lot more effort for me and that I have to come out regularly and often to everyone around me and then they'll forget and refer to me as female it's like oh cool thanks everyone well done you listened um (laughs) and so like to a degree we have less of an onus on ourselves to consciously subvert the system when we already have to work that extra bit harder to exist within it um I think also just being really conscious of our stage of development which we're both you know young 20s at the beginning of our career I would rather not torpedo my career right now by being a sort of anarchist about feminism but rather understand that there are ways to exist within the system that don't compromise my ideals and there are choices that you can make that don't compromise your ideals so for example um the society that I am vice president of at the University of Melbourne, Women in Science and Engineering, we have a lot of sponsorship agreements. And something I've always endeavoured to make quite clear in those sponsorship agreements is that if the organisation that we receive sponsorship funding for does something terrible, we will criticise them. And one of our sponsors was IBM, and quite recently IBM had their hashtag hack a hairdryer to try and get more women interested in tech, because the only thing women are interested in is hairdryers and things being pink. Obviously. Clearly. Mm -hmm. Um... And Wise, me, as Wise, posted some quite sarcastic tweets about that. And that didn't affect our relationship with IBM in Melbourne. That shouldn't ever affect our relationship with IBM as a whole, particularly because IBM actually managed to stand up and say, hey, we made a mistake. Sorry to anyone we offended. We just thought women really liked hair dryers. And it's like, oh, my God, IBM, all right. (laughs) All right, you've apologized. You've done well. Please keep trying. Good luck. <laughs> Get better PR. Um, yeah. And so that's a small way of making sure that you don't compromise your ideals by saying, yeah, so this women's organization, this women in STEM organization will take money from you. But if you do something sexist, we will continue to criticize you because we see that as being incredibly important. And you can choose to be engaged with groups like that or societies like that. And you can choose to not be engaged with groups that don't support your ideals. And when you can make that choice, you should. But you should also be conscious of when you can't make that choice. So if your choice is between being unemployed and working for, I don't know, what's a terrible company? Uh, Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, Then you should take the job because being unemployed and homeless is very, very bad for you. And it's that sort of personal, you don't have the personal responsibility to fix all oppression. Exactly. It's totally it's right. So important to remember. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a big thing for us for us who are very active within social justice circles and these highly 
politically like ideological circles to to remember is that you know while we have these feminist ideologies and we believe them and we want to make the world a better place with them if we can't survive then that's that's not helping anyone right like if if we were to choose between surviving within the system or completely tearing it down then if we can't survive then we're not going forwards we're not going anywhere but if we like live to see another day kind of thing if we you know don't torch our careers if if we play it very smartly um, and speak up when it is a good time to speak up and when you know you know that's not going to completely torch your career then we we last longer and we embed ourselves you know higher into any some kind of hierarchy or we gain more experience and we gain more power and influence to change the system for the better and i think that's something that a lot of us who are very deeply embedded in social justice kind of forget because we we're so obsessed with our ideologies right and we we want to we want to do things that are right and i think we're all very very conscious of maybe screwing up yeah <laughs> more <laughs> conscious now than uh we used to be certainly uh definitely <laughs> it's an evolution um i think certainly as well this is a discussion we have a lot in queer circles um and i apologize if anyone out there is offended by the term queer i know that it can still hold a lot of concern surrounding particularly older members of the lgbtiq community but it's the word i feel most comfortable identifying with which is why i use this in the circumstance um particularly in queer circles because coming out is the like is the choice for us and so there will be instances in your family life in your work life that you have to choose to come out and like whether you should come out when you feel unsafe whether it's your duty to come out the fact and like generally the discussion ends up being about the fact that having to come out is weird and people don't have to come out as straight so you don't owe anyone your sexuality or gender identity so whatever Mm. um but equally like particularly for trans youth particularly for queer youth of color surviving is a political statement because a lot of us don't and speaking as someone who has survived multiple suicide attempts who like lives with depression and is you know still a queer youth like I know that my survival is a political act and is an act that makes the world a better place for the people that come after me and I know that speaking out about my survival helps make that world something that welcomes and supports the trans youth the queer youth that come after me and that can be really hard to discuss or to remember or to even, like, a lot of people don't speak out about it or about their experiences with suicide. And I'm in a position where I can, and I'm very privileged because of that. And I know I certainly often put a lot of weight on myself to discuss it and to, like, to be a, to be a leader, to talk about my experiences and say, you know, it gets better for want of a better cliche. Um <laughs> Right, but at the same time, like if um, if discussing that is harmful for for you, then like perhaps you know you shouldn't like you, you yeah. should only be discussing this. <laughs> you know, if you are in your position and you know you're comfortable with it, and that's not going to further harm you. Yeah, certainly really important. Um, yeah, it's just it's being conscious of the choices you make, and that no choice is forced. 
I think is a really important part of you know, existing and being a good, essentially a good activist. You can't be a good activist if you don't take care of yourself, and that is number one priority, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Activists out there, take care of yourselves. <laughs> Self-care is a political act. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I had a thought today, and something that I remember feeling around um, the idea of leadership when I was a bit younger was the pattern that like the myth, right? The belief that there's only so many positions for women leaders, which is, you know, absolutely ridiculous, but I completely bought into it as a, as a teen (laughs) was that the, you know, we've been socialized to believe that if, um, if one woman is a leader, then another woman is not and that there are only limited spaces for women leaders. And I think that's something that we need to unlearn as, you know, you know, as people. Yeah. Because I know, like, when I was a teenager um, in high school and I felt this, like, strange competition between me and my friends whom I loved. And it just, it didn't make sense, but also, like, I felt it, it was real. I felt that if, you know, maybe if they got a very good grade, then I wouldn't get a good grade. Like, it's a, for some reason, a zero-sum game, which is completely ridiculous. But I believed it, and that was the dangerous part. Did you ever experience something like that? I mean, I went to an all-girls school, so all of my competitors were girls by, you know, definition. Um, But I certainly understand that. And, like, to an extent, I understand where it comes from. Um, Because often if you're a female in a higher, like, more higher difficulty class or you're a female who's in a leadership position or on a board, the only people who are at your level are other women. Because women have to be so much better than men still so to get true. jobs that mediocre yes. men have. So the only people who are like who seem like they're your competition are often the other women in the room. And so that really doesn't help. And um, I always forget who said this quote, but it's one of my favorite. And it's like, when women have earned the right to be mediocre, then we will be truly equal. And so like when you think about like all of the shitty white male bosses you've had... And just imagine, like, when a woman of colour is, like, that bad at being a leader and can still be a leader. (laughs) Like, that'll be a quality. When you see, like, queer disabled women being poor leaders, like, I'm there for that. (laughs) Actually, um, for for our notes for this talk, you wrote something down about the Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders thing, right? Um, And the first thought I had with that is that I am so sick that like we're just so focused around the fact that she is a woman like she has so many other things under her belt and there's so many other issues to talk about i can't wait for the day when we can actually criticize female leaders like we do male ones and not have it be overshadowed by sexism you know yeah to an extent but there is like there's always some very funny things that come out of uh criticizing um hillary clinton i particularly appreciated the criticism that uh, she might get her period while being in office, and her response was, "Do you understand biology? Right? Do you do you understand her age? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, she definitely won't, guys. She's good. It's um, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, there's just so many layers of wrong. Right? <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's shocking, but also at the time, completely not surprising that there would be people out there who say that kind of stuff. 
Oh yeah, um, and do you, you you might remember uh, the election campaign where Helen Clark had um, airbrushed photos yes. on billboards, mm-hmm. and she was heavily criticised for buying into like female beauty standards and like making her teeth look really nice when right. her face is on like but at the same time billboards throughout New Zealand, which everyone would do. Um, but then equally, she was criticised for like looking and sounding, and I quote, "mannish." Exactly, that's exactly what happened. And that is and that is the Taylor Swift line of mediocre perfection that we have to straddle. <laughs> Not even mediocre perfection. And certainly like I think um people like Beyonce and Nicki Minaj do so much for feminism when they talk about so good. the fact that they're not bossy, they are the boss. Um and like I was called bossy a lot as a child and my response was always sort of, Well, yes, because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and I think if we, I think if we have more young women like me out there, the world would be a better place. Uh, so, I, I hope so more young women start going. Yes, of course I'm bossy. That's because I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mediocre dudes, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friend has a tote bag that says "Carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man." Oh, if only I, I had that confidence. I. <laughs> This is kind of like a, a personal goal for me at the moment is to is to just be a little more confident in myself. Which sounds like real stupid and corny, but it's really difficult. It's a it's really difficult when when I've kind of not only been socialized by the rest of society, but also I've socialized myself to be heavily self critical because I'm so focused on all the things that I need to improve you know, as a human being and also you know, as a professional and in every way. So to say that, hey, I know what I'm doing and I'm good at what I do and I'm a good person is really strange. And it's something. Do you have any like tips for that? <laughs> um, I constantly low-key assume I'm the most important person in the room. Yeah, but uh, like how? Which is... Oh no, you just kind of assume it. You walk into a room and you scope it out and you're like, yeah, I'm I'm probably the most important person here. It's good. It's good. Uh and like that certainly doesn't take away from what other people like the importance of what other people have to say. And like it's really, really key that while you're sort of like curating arrogance, uh, which is, you know, humility is just a fancy word for lying, really. So arrogance <laughs> is just honesty. Um when you're curating ar- arrogance, definitely keep in mind that other people are important and they will always have like important things to say and really good stuff to teach you but just treat yourself like you are the most important person in the room in the world in your life because you are um i think i also have always been quite arrogant uh, as you probably know from our friendship (laughs) um and that definitely helped me become more confident Mm. I think that's inspiring in a way, though. Like for for a woman <laughs> to be like arrogant is such a such a rare thing for a woman to be because we're not expected to be that because you know we're kind of socialized away from that. So to have a woman who is arrogant about herself and who completely one hundred percent believes in herself that's an inspiration. Yeah. Well, I used to um I used to cut myself down quite a lot, and it's certainly uh um I think. I had a very key mentor, a male mentor about two years ago, who every time I did it was just like, stop it. Don't do that again. Like, do not criticize yourself. You know everything that you're talking about. And this was often during debating where, you know, you have 30 minutes to write a speech about something you know literally nothing about. (laughs) Um, And so 
becoming that confident talking about, you know, this obscure part of international relations or economic theory or, you know, I don't know, immigration or Australian policy, which I know very little about. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to speak and sound like you know the most out of anyone else in the room for like a solid eight minutes does wonders for your arrogance. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend debating to everyone as a way to uh, boost your confidence. It is a harsh and terrible world, um, mm-hmm. but it worked for me. I think the other thing to really do when it comes to boosting your confidence is to push yourself. Yes. So if you stay inside your comfort zone, you'll always think you can't do things outside of your comfort zone. So if you run for president of a society, as I accidentally did last year, um, if you want to build an app and you decide to just go and do it, if you build a website like you did for um, Hungary and you did amazing things with that, um, if you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, you will realize how good you are at what you do and how quick you are at learning and just how wonderful you are, really. Um, You'll realize how much further your boundaries are than what you thought they were. And I think that's a really important thing. That's a really good point because all of the best things that have happened in life for me are times when, because, like, I'm just up in my head all the time, so I mill over things a lot and I don't, and I don't, um, launch myself into a something until I've thought it through. But the best things that have happened is when I've just said, screw it, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to think it through. I'm just going to go ahead and... And, like, so for this podcast, you know, I was on a bus and I was like, gosh, I miss having great chats with Sophia. You know what? I'm just messaging <laughs> right now. And we're having a great time, so... Yeah, this is, this is excellent. The just-do-it mentality. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to Things of Interest. It's a show about life and tech through a feminist lens. For anyone who's interested in what we've discussed today, there'll be links to articles and a list of media in the show notes. You can find us on our website at thingsofinterest.co and on Twitter at castinginterest. And if you've got something you want us to discuss, ideas for how we could improve, or media you want us to review, drop us a line through either of those. And as always, please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and stay in touch.